it's okay to say that you don't know. And it's it's great to model that behavior of like, hmm, I don't know, let's find out. I think it really is great to do that because we don't know all the answers and we don't want our kids to think that they have to know all the answers. This is the Curious Neuron Podcast, where we take a compassionate approach to science-based parenting. Join us as we break down the science of child development and parenting into digestible and applicable advice. Welcome. Welcome back to another episode of the Curious Neuron Podcast. My name is Cindy Huffington and I am your host. Today we have a really special guest. In fact, this guest is so special that my kids decided that speaking with her made me uh, officially, you know, a cool mom. <laughs> We're at that stage now. Um, and it was so funny because I was speaking with Christy, who's the co-founder of Wondergrade, um, a new app that I'm also the co-founder of. If you haven't given a try, um, there's a two-week free trial, by the way. Um, but we were discussing this and I told her, hey, I'm interviewing Emily from Emily's Wonder Lab. You know, do your kids watch this? She's like, no, I don't think so. I haven't heard about it, I think. And then she told her daughters that... <laughs> that I was interviewing Emily and they were like, what? Cindy's speaking with Emily. That's so cool. We love Emily's Wonder Lab. So <laughs> she hadn't realized how popular, you know, this was in her home. So it's probably something that's being watched in your home. My neighbor told me about this TV show. Um, she told me about it maybe a year ago now and said, you know, you have to watch this. My kids love this show and want to do every single science experiment, except that Emily will, you know, do the small science experiment, but then do it also in, you know, Costco size, <laughs> industrial size. And, and that we can't do at home, but we could do the smaller one that teaches kids so much. So today we're talking about science education and how to bring science into your home. And you don't have to be a scientist, um, which is what Emily explains. And, and we had such an amazing conversation around that. I was um, really happy that she accepted to chat with me. And in case you don't know her, I will give you a bio of um, Emily in just one second. First, I would like to thank the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute at the Neuro here in Montreal for supporting the Curious Neuron podcast. We have a similar mission where we want to share the science. And as you know, that's my goal and, and my mission with Curious Neuron is to get the science to you because I believe all parents should have access to science and this will help you make informed decisions. I don't want to tell you how to parent. I want you to read all this information in bite-sized, digestible pieces, of course. And I want you to um, figure out what works best for yourself as a parent uh, with your own needs and what works best for your own child because every single child is different. If you're not following us on, on Instagram, you could do so by following uh, at curious underscore neuron. I post, you know, almost every day now and um, you can get some little snippets of a research article that we covered or a little summary of a new blog that's on our website. You can go to our website at curiousneuron.com to read the new blog posts. I'm trying to publish one every week now and, and there's a lot of research out there. I, I'm trying to build a team too of, of graduate students because there's just so much research that's coming out. 
and we need to bring it all to you as quickly as possible. Um, and also, if you haven't done so, please rate this podcast and leave a review. I read them all. I love them all. Um, they they mean so much to me. Thank you to Mom Nicholas, who left a rating and said, I feel safe bringing in practices that I learned from the podcast. I also love Cindy's voice, which projects clarity and playfulness where it needs to be. I wish there are shorter episodes of this podcast and more than once a week. That is something I'm trying to work on. Actually, I would love to hear from you guys. You can email me at info at um, because I often bring the conversations up to an hour, but I was thinking of splitting them into part one and part two. Um, so I'd love to hear from you guys. I'm trying my best. I have the solo episodes, which I make sure that are they're really short, but I'd love to get feedback from you guys. So that is why the reviews are really important to me because I take them to heart and I try to apply them as much as I can. Thank you also to Mick Crawley, uh, who said, love this podcast as a fellow Canadian. I appreciate how she brings in Canadian context as I find some of the other parenting related podcasts I listen to are American and some things may not be applicable. <laughs> I hadn't realized that I talk about Montreal. <laughs> um, I am actually from the city that's right uh, beside it called Laval. And um, first of all, I'm sponsored by by a local um, university and, and that's really important to me. But, you know, this is where I'm from. So I might talk about certain things that I experience here and and I can talk a lot more about it. It's funny that nobody has brought this up yet, but I, I don't do a lot of small talk. I don't talk a lot about my life. But I've noticed that when I'm listening to a podcast, it's really interesting to hear about somebody else's experience. But I don't do that very much. I personally think my life is sort of boring and there's no point in speaking about it. But maybe you all feel very differently. I'd love to hear from you at info at or send me a DM on Instagram. It might take a little while for me to respond, but I promise you that I will. All right, I do not want to waste any more time because this was a really fun conversation. First, I would like to introduce you to Emily Calandrelli is an MIT engineer turned Emmy nominated science TV host. She is the host and co-executive producer of Emily's Wonder Lab on Netflix and the host and executive producer of Exploration Outer Space on Fox and correspondent for Bill Nye on Bill Nye Saves the World on Netflix. Emily is the author of Reach for the Stars, The Ada Lace Adventures That My Children Love, by the way, and her upcoming science experiment book called Stay Curious and Keep Exploring came out in September. So you can purchase this book. I have placed my order. We haven't received it yet. And I'm so excited because right now I'm recording and it was just released a few days ago. My kids are going to love this. They love the experiments that she does. And I can't wait to bring this into our home. Let's not delay this any further. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Emily and I will see you on the other side. Hi, Emily. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to speak to you. I think we have this common ground of science communication and wanting to get the word out. You're the more sciencey and, and the the outer space part that my kids absolutely love. I talk about parenting, but you know, I, I think that we we share this common ground in terms of really getting science out there. Um, before I get into the serious questions and we get into like the science part, I have really one important question that I I, I needed to ask you. Is is this innate, this amazing ability to slide into a reel <laughs> the way that you do? Because it just fascinates me. And if I would try it, I'd wipe out. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know where it came from. I just started doing it one day because we had wood floors. And the other day I, I challenged my the members of my family to do it. And <laughs> my mom almost killed herself. My mom almost oh like, totally wiped out. But my dad <laughs> nailed it on the first try. Mm. And I thought, that's where I get that balance. Some from. genetics. <laughs> it's not easy. 
and, and, and there has to be some sort of recipe, the right socks and the right floor. And the <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. So. It's yep. awesome. <laughs> My, um, you know, for those of you who haven't heard of Emily, you need to jump onto Netflix and watch Emily's Wonder Lab. It's so easy to watch this and then do the science experiments with your kids. How did this all come about? You know, let, may, perhaps we can start with your childhood. I'd be curious to know um, what role science played and, 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 you know, when you were younger. Yeah. And it's funny because I think a lot of people are surprised to learn that I wasn't really into science as a kid, not necessarily because I didn't like it, but because I just didn't, I wasn't exposed to it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know any scientists or engineers Mm -hmm. as a kid. I'm the first person in my family or extended family to pursue a degree in STEM. I just, I didn't know any scientists or engineers. And so The way that I got into engineering, the way that I majored in it was because when I was a high school senior, I was very practical um, and I looked up all the majors that one could major in in college and I looked at their starting salaries and engineers oftentimes made the most money on these lists. And so that is how I chose engineering. And I thought, man, the next four years of my life are going to be so hard but I'm going to end up with a good job in the end and make my family proud and it's going to be so worth it. And once I got into engineering, I learned of all of these adventures that you can have as a student, all of the Mm -hmm. fun that you can have as a student and just like the, the discovery aspect of science and engineering and the awe associated with space exploration. And I just became enamored with it. Mm -hmm. So I kind of have a story of reluctantly joining STEM, um, but then enthusiastically staying. I love that story. And, and you know, it it kind of shows us that we don't have to have a big science background or, you know, introduce everything to our kids. Because I know a lot of parents worry if they don't have a science background, how can they do it adequately within their home? Same thing in my situation. I was the first to graduate with a university degree within my family, and there wasn't anything science-based in our home, nothing STEM at that time. And it was just through curiosity while I was doing my bachelor's that I became interested in science and said, well, what if we were to do this? And what if that happened? And then my professor, I had one professor who really guided me and said, well, if you're interested in that, you can do a master's and pursue graduate studies. So I, I love that these stories help parents realize that, you know, we don't have to push science on our child. And we'll speak about that. We can have ways to make science fun within our home, but then they'll find their way if, if that's their calling too. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think the one thing that my family did that was just, the, the the necessary thing to allow me to pursue this interest was that they supported my interest. They never they never told me that, are you sure this is going to be really hard? Are you sure that you want to do this? They never made me question myself. It was all just like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, let's learn how we do it. What extracurriculars do you want to take? Like they just supported me throughout the entire process and they never made me second guess myself because I think mm-hmm. it's especially as a woman in STEM, because you're one of the only girls in these classes, you look around and you're like, oh, wait, did I make a mistake? Should I be here? Mm -hmm. Why was I one of the only women to make this choice? If you don't have a support system, that family, like sort of reinforcing your decisions, it would be really easy to second guess yourself. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of steps before that. So even if science wasn't introduced to you at a young age, what did play look like? And and what did academics look like in terms of your how your parents supported you throughout that? Because I think that is really important in, in terms of our career choices later. Yeah, I I had uh, my dad was always very good at teaching me how to learn. I think I, I learned the art of 
teaching something to myself, which is a really necessary skill, not always having to rely on a parent, but like uh, the ability to teach something to yourself. And then my mom was the creative mind. I remember um, we would make home movies as a kid and I would play uh, like an actress. I would play the queen or I would, I would play a witch and I would play like whatever it was. And I had all of these crafts that my mom would make and I had that, uh, the ability to be really creative on one hand and really analytical on the other. And I think the combination of those interests led me to science and engineering. Because while it may not seem like there's a lot of creativity in engineering, for me, I infused creativity in every job that I had, every project that I did. And that is what led to a lot of my success because every project that you do in engineering requires someone to present what you've learned, present what you did. And you have to be an effective communicator to be able to do that. I loved making beautiful PowerPoint slides to showcase the complex engineering model that we designed. And that in itself was a really important skill that I honed as a child. And so I thank my parents for allowing me to have both of those creative skills and those analytical skills. Mm. I love that you brought up creativity because creativity is something I tell parents, if there's one little thing that you can be doing within your home for a small child, it's not about like saying here, design this beautiful butterfly that like looks a certain way. It's, it's about saying here's some paper, some stickers, some tissue paper, some pipe cleaners, whatever you need and, and create whatever you want or through pretend play. Like you mentioned, I love that you used to do that with your mom because yeah. there's a lot of learning around pretend play. And we're slowly seeing that certain types of play are, are not as popular within homes, especially pretend play. And I, I, I try to push play a lot, you know, with parents and show them the importance of that. So I love that you brought both of those in. Um, and, you know, I would even say that as a content creator and as a, in science communication, we have to think of ways to make, like you said, that's topic, you know, understandable to other people or fun and interesting and engaging to others. And there's a lot of creativity that goes into that. Yes, absolutely. A lot of storytelling as well. I mean, it's amazing just how often I I can feel my like creative aspect of my brain working really hard, either trying to find the right angle to a story that will resonate with the largest number of people. Because a lot of times when I talk about science or space exploration, I'm not generally talking to somebody who has a master's degree in engineering. I'm talking to a parent who has a kid who loves space, who is looking for someone to explain it to both of them in ways that they can both understand. Mm -hmm. So not somebody to talk down to them, but somebody to give them the context as to why they should care and why it's interesting and just use language that people who don't have a master's degree in, in aerospace engineering will be able to understand. And so doing that takes a lot of creative energy. You really have to think through what you learned when you were in engineering and and like the context that you just sort of assume a lot of people know and break down those barriers so that more people can understand it and appreciate it. And that's a skill that takes a lot of time to develop. When I work with graduate students, it takes quite a few weeks, I would say even like two to three months to really teach them how to take a science article and to break it down into, like you said, it's not about diminishing it, but it's about speaking in a way that others will understand while you're still making sure that you're focusing on the point of the paper and the the, the conclusions of it, but that anybody can understand regardless of their background and degrees. It's, it's a skill. It is. Yeah. yeah. Because you want to simplify without 
like ver- making it inaccurate, which is a very exactly. delicate balance mm-hmm. because even though you're not talking to people with the master's degree in aerospace engineering, the people with the master's degree in aerospace engineering will be seeing your video and if <laughs> anything wrong with it, yeah. they They'll will tell you. let you know. <laughs> and so you, you really, you have to get everything right, but also explain it in a way that everybody can understand. And that is mm. such a delicate balance. Mm. So if a parent is listening to this right now and they have a young child who's really interested in outer space and space exploration and like my three kids, I'm, I'm lucky that we have a science background and we're able to explain that. But what if there's a home where parents are like, how do I help my child or how do I nurture this, this curiosity around this without having the background or the answers for them? Yeah, I think, I mean, honestly, NASA does such a good job of finding ways for families to get engaged in the work that they're doing. They always host these wonderful live streams around big events. And so as a parent, I would follow NASA on all social media just so you because they post about when they're doing these things. So as long as you follow them on social media, you'll have all the resources at your fingertips. And I very similarly do the same when NASA has a big event. I will share videos on when it's going to happen, why you should care, why it's exciting, why it's unique. And so I have videos, NASA has videos, they'll be sharing lots of resources and there will likely be a live stream that you can watch. So you're like, uh, like there will be a, a launch, for example, and you can count down towards the launch and you can log on to the live stream and watch the rocket launch with your family. It's moments like that, I think are really, really exciting. So from what you're saying, it's not even about having the right language, but just including it in your home and having it there present on your TV or YouTube or wherever you watch it. We yeah. watch it live on YouTube. I think they, that's where my husband clicks it on. And exactly, just having it there. And then your children might have questions. But what we do is if we don't know the answer, we can Google, <laughs> we can search yes. for it. Right. Yeah. And yes, exactly. And chances are many other people have had that same question. And so you will be able to find it in like a NASA FAQ or some video that NASA has made um, or in one of my videos. I love doing, you know, basically uh, basic FAQs mm-hmm. on big launch events on my page, too. So, yes, mm-hmm. the, the finding the answers on Google is a great, great um, solution because it's OK to say that you don't know. Right. It's okay to, and it's, it's great to model that behavior of like, Mm -hmm. Hmm, I don't know. Let's find out. Mm, I think it really is great to do that because we don't know all the answers and we don't want our kids to think that they have to know all the answers as well. So we have to look for it and stay curious, as you say, um, I'd like to switch a bit to the science that you do in Emily's uh, wonder lab, because, um, my kids had questions around it and my neighbors have questions around it in terms of, you know, the mess sometimes that it can create and they don't know how to introduce it or, or how to go about it. And I think you introduce such amazing concepts and the Ublek is so fun. I'll never see that much Ublek in my lifetime. I think it was so cool that you were able to be in this like pool of Ublek. Oh my gosh. Um, That was the most magical day. I've always made Ublek. I remember making Ublek with my mom as a kid and not as a science experiment, just as a, she noticed when cornstarch and water were mixed that it felt funny. Mm. She didn't know why. She just knew that it felt funny. And I remember 
playing with it as a kid. And so it was always a dream of mine to have this pool filled with like <laughs> and to be able to run across it. And so that in Emily's Wonder Lab was my favorite day, my favorite episode. I love, love Ublek. And my favorite thing about Ublek, because I do it with my three-year-old all the time. We, we make Ublek all of the time. And my favorite thing about Ublek is that it is extremely easy to clean up. You just have to wait for it to dry. And so we'll do it on our kitchen countertop and I'll give her four different bowls and they'll each have different food coloring in it. And I'll just give her measuring cups and she'll just scoop it out of one and put it in the other, scoop it out of another, put it in the other, mix it in with her hands and it'll get all over the table. And I just wait for it to dry. And then you just take a paper towel and you dump it into the trash can because it turns back into cornstarch and you can vacuum up the rest that gets on the floor. It's uh, For me, it's a very easy, wonderful science experiment. And you mentioned you're doing this with your three-year-old. Perhaps some parents are questioning, is that, I mean, can I start with my three-year-old or should I, is that early enough? Should it be earlier? How, how do you do it in your home? Yeah. So we started when she was probably two and a half because that is when she could just really find ways to get her hands dirty. She loved just playing with things that were messy. She loves playing with Play-Doh. And so Ublek was a very easy, similar experience. And I would talk to her about the science. I would basically say, when you hit it, it feels like a solid, but look, when I just hold it in my hands, it looks like a liquid. And I don't know that she's retaining that, but as she gets older, these words, this type of education will feel more familiar. And so I just keep telling her the same things and eventually it's going to click. Eventually it's going to make sense. And because I did it at such a young age, it doesn't feel as intimidating because it's all very like, oh yes, I know when I do this. Oh yeah, non-Newtonian fluid. My mom always tells me. So it's like, <laughs> I, I think that because we started when she's young, this these concepts are going to be easier to learn as she gets older. And I think that these science experiments that have like these textures or tactile things, it, it reminds us that part of scientific processing or thinking is is first observing. So looking at the color and, yeah. and being able to describe the texture, it's okay to keep it at that with your small child. Um, even playing with vinegar and baking soda, you know, it's putting colors. We have like pipettes that we bought like a, I don't know, I bought like a pack of a hundred on Amazon, the plastic ones. And yep. it's just so easy to take that out with, we have like an ice cube tray and I'll put a little bit of baking soda in it with like a container with different colors of vinegar. And, and it's just, it's simple. We don't have to, to, to complicate science with it. Right. Right. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that complicated because exactly like even if you yourself don't understand the science or can't mm -hmm. explain the science, being able to notice when a reaction is happening that in itself is like sparking curiosity of like, yes. whoa, when I add these two things, this happens. What if I add these two things? And what if I do this? Exactly. What if I do this? And just yeah. all of that questioning and curiosity is it's just, it, it's really, it's fun. It's really mm -hmm. fun. And that's the heart of science because all science is, is using a systematic process to find the truth in the world, to mm -hmm. find knowledge in the world and build on that knowledge. But first you have to have those questions. First, mm -hmm. you have to start with that curiosity. So if all you're doing is building curiosity, that's the first step. I love that. That what if statement, oh, it's just, it's really the core of everything because you want to be, you want your child, whether they're five years old or 15 or 25 to question what if that's, what's going to yeah. lead to that education. And like I said, for me, I, I had no background in science. It's just that I started questioning things. And I was lucky that I had a teacher in my environment that said, when you start questioning that much, <laughs> you're curious about it and you have enough 
questions to do a master's degree around it. So that's what we want right. to do with our kids. Um, I had heard there's an author, her name is Julie Bogart, and she talks a lot about homeschooling. And she talks about having this wall, like a what if or a question wall or a section within your home, um, which I'm going to try this year. I did a bit, a little bit last year, whenever my kids had a question, like why, um, how do snakes hear <laughs> was one of my kids questions. And I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> so we would write it on post-its and we slowly started putting a few questions on the wall. And then we would search for it and figure out what the answer was or ask somebody who might know the answer to it. Love that idea. Right? Yeah. Such a fun idea. And I think it's a really great way to kind of bring in the the questioning and also critical thinking. Like who, who says who, right? Just as she brings up um, when you're reading a book, who says it's the author? Like just going back to the beginning of a book and saying this person is is saying this to you. It's not just a random book with random words and then right. putting a, a, a name to it. Um, but these are all ways that we could not only bring in science, but I think critical thinking, which yeah. is something I wanted to talk to you about too, because now not just critical thinking in kids, but let's talk about adults. First. <laughs> let's talk about yeah. adults first. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, because I think that we need to go back <laughs> a little bit in terms of using that critical thinking because science, I mean, there's a big struggle right now, right. In in terms yeah. of science and, and, and critical thinking, I think in our world. Yeah. I, it's, it's so, it's so nuanced and there are so many layers to it. Yeah. I think that it stems from the fact that a lot of our beliefs are encompassed in our own worldview and yeah. our idea of our identity. Yeah. And we're mixing sort of facts and opinions with what we think our identities are supposed to believe. Mm -hmm. And that is so hard to break down, like breaking down your worldview, accepting a fact that doesn't align with your worldview is really, really difficult. And so it's, it's a huge cultural prob problem. It's an identity issue. Um, and it's, it's really, really difficult. I think a lot of times with, um, as a science communicator, one of the challenges that you run into, especially when it came to the pandemic and how in the pandemic, a lot of the information that we were getting was changing very quickly. And with a lot of science communicators, we were having a hard time communicating uncertainty because we sort of wanted to say, you know, this is the science, just trust it. But instead, we perhaps should have said, this is the science as we know it right now. This yes. is the best information that we have at the moment. This may change yeah. because as soon as information changes, as soon as it's not, you can, at the beginning of the pandemic, it was, you have to wear an N95 mask and no other masks are effective. And then it was, actually, we've learned that if everybody wears masks, it's helpful. And that is another line of defense that we have. And so people who maybe were on the uh, part of the identity that maybe didn't want to think that vaccines were effective, maybe didn't want to wear masks, they would use that as a, wait a second, you told us that science said, and now science says this, the opposite thing. And so who am I to trust? And that stemmed from the fact that it's difficult to communicate uncertainty. Yeah. And I think that that is one of the issues that we're, we're seeing right now among many other things. So, yeah, a very nuanced issue that is leading to lots of lots of problems. You, you really communicated that very well. And I think that the changing of science is something that we do need to talk a lot, a lot more because 
even within what the science that I do. So my background's in neuroscience and, you know, we, we might do something a certain way, but then it's going to change. And it doesn't mean that the first way was wrong. It's just that it's, we, we didn't know, like there wasn't data yeah. around it and, and around parenting as well. Like I share parenting advice, you know, the science around parenting. And when it comes to like spanking or corporal punishment, there's a lot of experiences that come into that. So it's very difficult to have those conversations with parents because, you know, yeah. we might have experienced it and feel like we're okay, but now the science shows us that we shouldn't be doing that anymore. So it's hard to tackle these kind of topics where there's a lot of personal um, experience with in it, you know, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Cause it's, if you're attacking something that, uh, like somebody experienced themselves mm-hmm. or they have chosen to do a belief yeah. they, they had taken on that they thought was okay. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it feels like you're attacking them personally. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's very, very difficult to separate those two things of like my emotions versus the facts on the matter there. They are just so, so intertwined. And that's like a different part of science communication that we have to do, right? Because it's we have to put ourselves in the shoes of those who might have certain experiences yeah. or beliefs, but it's hard because we're putting the facts out. We're trying to, like, I always add my sources and my references because I've seen that there are other parenting experts that will say things that aren't really backed by science. So I, yeah. I try to make sure that it's not opinion-based, but experience-based. Here's what I found in the science and here's how I applied within my home you can do it too, right? Like that sort of thing. How do you, what are sort of some challenges that you've experienced with the, your area of science communication? Yeah, I would say that the big one um, for me is because I'm from West Virginia and West Virginia is a state that uh, is one of the number one states in the nation that has the fewest number of people that accept that global warming is caused by humans or that wow. they think that it's happening. Mm-hmm. And the reason that is, is because West Virginia is also one of the largest coal providers in mm-hmm. the nation. And so the coal industry, which my dad was employed by growing up, is dying, mostly thanks to market alternatives um, mm-hmm. from cheaper, cheaper alternatives. Um But because it's dying, a lot of people in West Virginia are losing their jobs. My dad got laid off from his coal job growing up and had to find a new industry to work in. But not many people in West Virginia were quite that lucky. And so there's a huge economic crisis in West Virginia. And they tie that to the environmental movement. They think environmentally friendly policies are not friendly to me. And so their scapegoat is climate change and their belief in global warming and everything. And so the identity in West Virginia is that if you're not a friend of coal, if you are not an advocate of coal, if you believe in climate change, then do you hate West Virginia? Do you hate yourself? I mean, this is part of our identity. And so when I talk about the science of climate change, for example, back in West Virginia, I don't talk about the science of it all. I don't talk about how like carbon dioxide acts like a blanket to our atmosphere and it traps in heat and the greenhouse effect. No, I don't talk about that. I talk about the economic lens of how we can solve 
the coal job, the loss of coal jobs. And I say things like solar power farms would be a great solution to provide more jobs to West Virginians because in West Virginia, one of the ways that they took out coal is through something called mountaintop removal. Well, mountaintop removal hurts the land. It makes the land very difficult to build on. You have to reclaim it. You have to infuse a lot of money into the land to rebuild it, to be able to build on top of it. So a lot of this land in West Virginia can't be used for anything but it can be used for solar farms because you don't need to do that much um, reclamation of the land to be able to put solar farms on it. So the solar industry is ripe in West Virginia. It's a great way to provide many more jobs and replace jobs that were lost by the coal industry. And that is something that speaks better to families that have lost a lot of their jobs and their Mm -hmm. livelihoods and their ability to put food on the table rather than you silly hillbilly like why don't you understand the science or like I'm literally trying to put a roof over my kid's head like why don't you have the bandwidth Mm -hmm. to think about something as long term as climate change so you just have to for me it's a really personal issue and you have to think about it as you said from their perspective and understand where they're coming from. I love that you, the piece you brought in or that lens that you have to change when you're speaking to different populations is the compassion piece, right? To have the compassion around whatever experience they're having or whatever their background is in. Um, yeah. And then share, again, this goes back to how, how much of a skill this is when you're communicating science, because you really have to put yourself in their shoes and and, and speak to them, that specific person, um, not only in the words, but in the compassion piece. Right, Exactly. I get that. I love that. Um, Here in Montreal, Canada, I know that science starts closer to grade three. So before that, it's not really part of the curriculum. Um, How does it work in the States? And, you know, what are some places that or some areas that we could improve science for younger children? You yeah. Know. You know, what's funny is I don't know because my oldest child is only three. Okay. <laughs> so I, I know That's that they okay. once yeah. had a science day at daycare. Um, oh, I love that. I, I don't know quite what, what age they start bringing in um, science and all of that. Yeah, I was just curious. Yeah. I know that they have a lot of toys that help you bring it in as early as two or three years old. I and mean, we have lots of um, like my first microscopes, my first telescopes. We have like our own little science kits here. And so we start it super, super early, even if it's just play, like she'll play a scientist. She'll, mm-hmm. she'll pretend to be a scientist. So we definitely start it very early in the home, but not sure when they I start that. Cool. Oh, I, I think you'll, you'll enjoy this. So the, when I was doing my um, doctor degree, I was part of this volunteering program where we taught grade three kids about science and the brain. How does the brain function? How do you have emotions? You know, is it in your heart? Is it in your brain? And the first day when we would show up, so most of the um, volunteers were women and we would go into these classes and we would ask the students the first moment that we'd walk in to draw a scientist. About 90% of um, the students would draw somebody who looked like Einstein. (laughs) And then we would teach them and return every single month in their classroom for nine months. And on the last day of class, we would ask all the students, can you draw a scientist? And they either drew themselves or a woman. So I I have a study published on that. It was so interesting to see that when you say scientist, that even in grade three, there's this idea of what a scientist is and what they look like. And then they realized it could be me. It could be anybody. It could be, you know, like, (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's beautiful. Right. I I hope they could do that more in schools and that we need so many more scientists to share the work that they're doing, which regardless of the field, I think there's a lot more 
um, space and room needed out there to fill in, in terms of the information, even when it comes to parenting um, and, and any field, you know, uh, I'm trying to get more scientists to come out and share through the podcast, but sometimes yeah. it's a struggle to get them to come out. They don't want to share it with others. <laughs> Not that they don't want to, but they, they, they worry about how they're going to share it. I've had a scientist who studied a specific topic, who repeated the definition of that topic six times. And we had to edit the podcast because uh. he was worried that it wasn't the right way or how to say it to, to the lay audience, you know, like it, yeah. <laughs> but we need more. I mean, it, it goes back to like the communication part being such a skill because mm-hmm. a lot of times when you are, you surround yourself with other like-minded people, other people with PhDs in your mm-hmm. specific field, you're so used to talking to those people mm-hmm. that you forget how to communicate the, everything that you've learned, but starting back from before you learned it, because how would you communicate it to yourself before you started setting it before you got that PhD, like that skill set, starting from those basic building blocks can be really hard once you've gotten so far up the chain. Yeah, it's true. Um, I, I'd love to talk a little bit about Emily's Wonder Lab before we do finish our conversation. Um, I'm curious to know what's happening. Where is season two? My kids have watched season one about a hundred times now. I love and they're just so excited and they crave more. What's, what's happening with, with the show? Yes. I mean, we've just been blown away by the support that the mm. community had from Emily's Wonder Lab. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why my book that I wrote in response to the wonderful support of Emily's Wonder Lab that's coming out actually tomorrow. Stay curious and no. keep exploring. Oh, um, yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very <laughs> excited about it. It has my 50 favorite science experiments of all time. And so oh. for anybody who watched the show, anybody who liked Emily's Wonder Lab, like this is the book Good. for you. Um, and right now we're still waiting. We're still in a holding pattern and we are hopeful that eventually the show will get picked up. Um, mm-hmm. But right now we're we're still, we're waiting to hear from Netflix. We are waiting for <laughs> <laughs> I hope it comes back. You know, I love that you're using every possible platform to communicate science to kids. We have your Adelaide book um, that my seven-year-old loves. And she started her own little journal last year when we bought the book. And she would write down like five o'clock, mom is making dinner, <laughs> is cooking dinner, you know, Aww. seven o'clock little brother goes upstairs and it helped her with writing. It helped her just like, just that little piece. That's what she pulled out of it. And I love that she was doing that. Um, you know, it's, I, I love all the work that you're doing and I hope it gets picked up again. Cause it's so important for kids to just get that science within their home. Um, yeah, thank you. I, I really appreciate that you took the time to chat with me today. Um, are there any resources for parents that are listening that you you mentioned NASA and following them on the platforms? Yeah. Um, is there anything else you would recommend for parents who want to take that next step now that they've heard our conversation? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I would recommend my book, Stay Curious and Keep Exploring, because it, mm. it, it does the same thing that Emily's Wonder Lab does. It breaks the science down into such a, an easy way to explain it. I actually don't even just tell you the science. It's a conversation between me and a curious kid asking questions. So it's a kid doing the science experiment and asking questions through making observations of what's happening. It's like, oh, I see it bubbling. Why is it bubbling? And oh, I see that rising to the top. Why is it rising to the top? And so it encourages your kid to ask their own questions. There's prompts to make hypotheses. There's prompts to experiment within the experiment and see what happens. And so it's a really great kind of 
uh, a way to spoon feed Mm -hmm. science with uh, no background in science at all. So I really made this for parents who are hoping and and adults and caretakers who are hoping to educate their, their young kids on science and maybe didn't have a background on it at all. So it's, it's really fun. You can make it with a lot of materials that you probably already have in your kitchen. Um, and yeah, I would, that's probably the number one thing that I would recommend right now. I love that. And, and you know, having this book uh, with us to help us, I think is, is so important. I'm going to have the links to any possible way to reach you and follow you and, and the link to the book as well. Um, I had no idea it was coming out tomorrow. I'm excited to get it myself and the kids will be excited. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with me. Uh, if there's anything else that you wanted to share, any links or future projects, let me know. Uh, please share it with us. But everything will be on the show notes for your episode. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation that I had with Emily as much as I did. You can watch the full video on YouTube, um, even with your child if you want to. Uh, you, all the Curious Norm podcast episodes are now available on YouTube. And you can follow us on Instagram at Curious underscore Neuron. And don't forget to leave a rating and a review for this podcast if you are enjoying it. And I hope you are. I will see you all next Monday. And I hope you have a wonderful and lovely week. Bye now. <laughs>